gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we can speak to you. Uh, thank you that you've given us your word. And Lord, it can be confusing and strange and ominous at times, but God, meet us where we are now. Whether we speak English or whatever it is, God, would you speak to our hearts with your mighty love, and would we know your graciousness now and forevermore. Amen. So as we go through Genesis, we've seen that the goodness of God is working throughout the entire book, showing us his purposes in restoring a good world to himself. But he created this good world and people and the animals and the trees and everything. But the people rebelled. We have rebelled against our creator. We have rebelled against God. And that's distorted that's broken our relationship with God. It's broken our relationship with one another. It's, it's created a false understanding of ourselves. Our minds are, are not the way they should be. Our relationships are not where they should be. And there's just a brokenness. Yeah, the story of Genesis and the story of the whole Bible is how God is restoring this broken and fallen world back to a good and created way. It's called redemption. God is redeeming the world to himself. This is the entire book of the Bible. All 66 of these books, written by those 44 different authors, tell one story of a great and amazing God restoring a broken and corrupt world. And God is faithful to see his plan through. Because God is faithful to his own promises. God is faithful to himself. And don't we all long for a better home? When we look around us, we read in the news, the deaths from the coronavirus, where planes are crashing and taking our loved ones away. We live in a place where children, they get sick and they puke all day, and then I'm up all night and I get tired. You know what that's like? We long for a place where, where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. Imagine if that place was real. Imagine if there was a faithful God who is making all things right despite our unfaithfulness, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, that this gracious and amazing God is restoring a world to himself. This is the God that I believe in. This is the God that I've come to know. And this is the God I want to teach you about. So in chapters 27 and 28, it's the story of this family that's full of lies and deception and cheating and unfaithfulness to God. Yet God works all things for his own faithful purposes. So chapter 27, verse 1. One day when Isaac was old and turning blind. So Isaac is the son of a man named Abraham. And the way Genesis is written out is, is for the first couple chapters, we're learning about God's relationship with the world. And then it narrows down. We meet this person named Abraham, who God makes his promise to, a promise to reverse this curse that's come upon the world. Abraham dies, and now we meet Isaac. So whenever you're reading Genesis, and one of the chapters, it opens up with, these are the generations of, you know that you're in a new story. You know that you're in a new part 
of Genesis. So that, this is who Isaac is. He's the son of Abraham. He was old and turning blind. He called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son. Yes, father, Esau replied. I'm an old man now, Isaac said. I don't know when I may die. Take your bow and a quiver full of arrows and go into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. Then I will pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. So blessing like this is very important. If you're a firstborn son, it's very important. So I'm the firstborn son in my family, and I am very important. Because <laughs> you're supposed to bring the legacy of your family to the next generation. You feel that weight as the older son. Here in this generation, in this time, is more so. You are to bring the family name, the family business, the honor to the next generation. And Isaac is dying, and he wants to give this blessing, which we'll learn about in a bit, to his son. The blessing that the son would receive would shape the future of the person receiving the blessing. It would establish their identity as the heir of God's promise given to Abraham and Isaac. The promise that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars and kings will come from your, your descendants. And you will reverse the curse. So in light of this, the firstborn line will eventually lead to a royal descendant, a royal king through, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. So we're waiting for this king, this king to come and conquer and bless the world. And we read it through the line of Abraham. We continue in verse 5. But Rebekah, Isaac's wife, overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau, Bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks. Bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. Then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. So Isaac's on his deathbed. He's old, he's blind, and he intends to bless his son Esau. Rebekah wants to unfaithfully help her favorite son, Jacob, to receive the blessing. So we've got a tricky, tricky Rebecca here, a tricky wife. He wants to bless her favorite son. We know that he's her favorite. We read in Genesis 25. You don't have to flip there, but in Genesis 25, verse 20, it says, Isaac loved Esau. Because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. So Isaac loved Esau because he cooked some good food. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Favorites. You parents, you have favorites? You don't have to say anything right now. My favorite right now is Hazel. Young Hazel. Just does what we want. Thank you, Hazel. We continue in verse 11. But look, Jacob replied to Rebekah, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and my skin is smooth. 
What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm trying to trick him, and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, Then let the curse fall on me, my son. Just do what I tell you. Go and get the goats for me. So you're listening to his interaction, and there's his mom and the son's interaction. And you're thinking, oh, maybe he's like a teenager. Maybe he's like a young kid. No, like Jacob is like 77 years old. Like, what's he doing at home? Anyways, those are questions for another day. So Jacob went out and got the young goats for his mother. Rebekah took them and prepared a delicious meal, just the way Isaac liked it. Then she took Esau's favorite clothes, which were there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and smooth part of his neck, the skin of the young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said. Yes, my son. Isaac answered, who are you? Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. What a liar. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. What a liar. Then Isaac said to Jacob, also you got to picture how ridiculous this is. He has like lamb skin tethered to him and we're continuing. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But are you really my son Esau? He asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, Now, my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced And he blessed his son. He said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. Like the smell of the Yukon, am I right? Oh, it just smells like the woods, like pine saw. That's good. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants. And may they bow down to you. This is the blessing now that the father is imparting on his son. May you be the master over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. And all who bless you will be blessed. So this blessing is building on God's faithful promise that God made to Abraham. That kings will be among your descendants. In Genesis 17, verse 6, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. What an honor to receive that blessing. What an honor to know that your lineage is going to bring upon this royal family. But it was all a trick. 
not, not from Isaac, but Jacob tricked his dad to get it. This blessing was received only because Jacob was unfaithful to his father and lied to him three times. He lied when he said, hey, I'm Esau, your firstborn son. Second time, Jacob lied when he named the Lord as the reason for good hunting. Because his dad's like, how did, you, how did you kill that animal so fast? Like, oh, your God put that animal in front of me. That is a bold-faced lie. Third lie. But are you really my son Esau, he asked. Yes, I am. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. So we continue in verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared a delicious meal and brought it to his father. Then he said, sit up, my father, and eat my wild game so I can give you, so you can give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, who are you? It's kind of like a dramatic TV show now. You just got popcorn. You're like, oh man, what's going to happen now? That little liar. But Isaac asked him, who are you? Esau replied, it's your son, your firstborn son Esau. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, then who just served me wild game? I have already eaten it and I blessed him just before you came. And yes, that blessing must stand. So these blessings are like an irrevocable written contract. It's hard to understand in our day and age, but a blessing like that from your father is, is permanent. Verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too, he begged. But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me and he has taken away your blessing. We must know that Isaac is not an innocent old man here either. He wanted to bless Esau, even though God earlier had said specifically that the younger son will serve the older. And the common convention then was the older is served by the younger. But God said it's going to reverse. So Isaac was actually being unfaithful to God in wanting to bless Esau, his favorite son. We continue in verse 36. Esau exclaimed, No wonder his name is Jacob. For now he has cheated me twice, for he took my rights as the firstborn, and now he has stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? And here comes Esau. Esau's crying, he's sad, and Esau's playing helpless victim here when he says, My brother stole my firstborn rights. He stole my birthright, but if you read in, I believe, two chapters earlier, uh, is either 25 or 26, Esau just gives his birthright away for some food. He was, he was indifferent to his birthright. So here he's saying, oh, my brother stole it from me, Dad. I'm just this helpless victim. I'm so sad. He didn't care about his firstborn status. He just gave it to his bro for some food. He didn't care that he was the firstborn. It didn't matter to him. So we continue in verse 37. Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. 
what is left for me to give to you, my son? Esau pleaded, but you have only one blessing. Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, You will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heavens above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. This family, this was an amazingly dysfunctional family. And some of us, many of us can relate to this. This little family, they're full of selfish ambition, jealousy, envy, lying, deceit, backstabbing, manipulation, stubbornness, and stupidity. This family is very dysfunctional. Yes, and it is sad that many of us can sympathize with this deeply entrenched unfaithfulness in our homes. Do we not see it in our own lives? Do we not see it in the families around us? This is the curse of sin that has affected us. And our relationships are broken. And this is the kind of thing that comes up. And now we continue in verse 41. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But Rebekah heard about Esau's plans. So she sent for Jacob and told him, Listen, Esau. Listen, Esau is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. When he calms down and forgets what you have done, I will send for you to come back. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. We're going to explain that sentence in a second. But Jacob had stolen his blessing, and a murderous hatred had gripped Esau's soul. And he began to bide his time until his father died, and then he would have the pleasure of killing his brother with his own hands. His hatred was so deep that the thought of killing Jacob might bring him comfort. So verse 27, though, it ends with this strange thing that Rebecca says. Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm sick and tired of these local Hittite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. Chapter 28. So Isaac called for Jacob, blessing him and said, You must not marry any of these Canaanite women or Hittite women. Instead, go at once to Padam Aran, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessing he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paran Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. So this is a trick that Rebecca did. It's the old trick of you do something. So she wants her son to run away. So, she doesn't, so he doesn't die. But how, she, how, how are you going to do that? 
let's make Isaac think that it's his idea. So Rebecca goes up to Isaac, I hate Canaanite women. I would rather die than see Jacob marry one of them. And Isaac's thinking, by golly, you're right. Jacob, come here. You must not marry one of these women. Go elsewhere. And Rebecca is like Mr. Burns in The Simpsons, thinking, excellent, excellent. They're all scheming. They're all scheming. Rebecca, she's like a mind ninja. There's this comedian, he's talking about, he's, he's talking about having this, his, this argument with his, his wife. And uh, they're arguing. I don't know what the argument's about. But the comedian was saying she would just drop, like, mind grenades. She'd say something like, you're just like your dad. And he's like, well, that's all, that's it? That's all you have? That's, I, I win the argument. I, that, I'm just like my dad. And then he's, like, fuming. He's like, I'm just like my dad. My dad was in the army. My dad is a saint. And he's just fuming. And meanwhile, his wife is at the kitchen table. Anyways, this is not a tip to how to argue with your wife. We have a rule in our household we, where we don't bring up the in-laws. It's like, you just don't go there. You don't say anything about the in-laws. So Rebecca's like this mind ninja. And in verse 6 now, in, verse, in chapter 28, Esau knew that his father Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padan Aram to find a wife. And that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padan Aram. It was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters, in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath. She was the sister of Neboeth and the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. That sounds terribly uncomfortable. As he, why would you why choose a stone? Just choose nothing. As he slept, I digress. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I'm with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. And is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. So Jacob woke up from this sleep, having this dream from his super comfy stone pillow, and was amazed at God. He was amazed because, like the rest of us, we naturally forget that God is with us when we're in trouble, and especially when it's our fault and when we are unfaithful. 
Jacob is like a fugitive running, but God says to him and, and pronounces this blessing. And this is good news for us, for us, this amazement that Jacob experienced, that we are to be amazed. Be amazed, running sinner. God is there. Be amazed, suffering sinner. God is there. Be amazed, evil schemer. God is there. Be amazed, faithless one. God is there and God is faithful. God is fulfilling his promise to restore the world to its good and right order despite people's unfaithfulness. We continue, verse 18. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took his stone pillow. He had rested his head against. There's no pillow, I just added that. And he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my mother's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God and will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. So Jacob is dedicating this special event by setting up his rock pillow as a memorial pillow, so, or memorial pillow, memorial <laughs> pillar. <laughs> so he stands it upright. He pours some, some oil on it as a, as a sign of um, consecration, as like a dedication sign, some oil on it. But he still doesn't trust God. He's still unfaithful to God. Because you'll notice he put up a pillar. And as we read throughout Genesis, when people worship God and serve God, they build altars where they sacrifice animals. But Jacob doesn't do that. He puts up his pillow, puts some oil on it. And then he has all these ultimatums. We can see his lack of faith in these ultimatums he's saying to God. And so fully trusting him, he says, if God does this, if God does this, gives me clothing, gives me food, if I return safely, then he'll be my God. Then he'll be my God. You don't give God ultimatums. He's not trusting in him fully. And so in chapters 27 and 28, we see a glimpse of God's unfaithfulness. Oh, sorry. We see a glimpse of God's faithfulness. We'll just cut that on the podcast. Despite the constant unbelief and unfaithfulness of his people, God remains constantly faithful despite the unfaithfulness of his people. Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Esau, they're all in on it. They're all schemers. They're all liars. And when people are unfaithful to God and to one another, everyone loses. There is no winner here. Rebecca was forced to send her favorite son to a faraway land, basically as a fugitive. Jacob, he's gone for like 20 years, and it appears that they actually never meet each other again, Rebecca and, and Jacob. And blind old Isaac, he's unfaithful to God. He's fighting against God's faithful promise. And Esau, he despises birthright and lost everything. But God cannot and will not be anything but faithful to 
his unfaithful children. God will be faithful to his word and his own character even when we manipulate, manipulate and fight against his will. His plan is unstoppable. His plan is unstoppable. And this is good news for all of us. There's a commentary that says this. Fellow believers, this is all of grace. Jacob, the conniving believer who was outcast and alone due to his own sin, who merited nothing from God, was met by God in his misery with an unparalleled revelation of God's care and assurance for his future. Jacob was not seeking God. He was fleeing the consequences of his deception. He was not expecting grace, but grace was unleashed upon his soul and with not even a word of reproach. The vision and the voice of God only bore assurances. Now, if we're honest, if we're sitting here listening to this, we are all Jacobs, are we not? We find ourselves running and hiding because of our sin, because of rebellion towards God and towards other people. We're hiding. We don't want people to see what we're about, what we think about, what we do. But the hope of the gospel is this, that Jacob had this this vision, this dream of a stairway between earth and heaven and angels coming down and up. So what was this vision about? If we flip to the New Testament, there's a book called John, chapter 1, verse 51. So centuries after the story of Jacob, after the story of Rebekah and Isaac and Esau, we have this book written by this man named John, chapter 1, verse 51. Jesus says this. He's talking to a man named Nathaniel. He says, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open in the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is another word for Jesus and the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now, why does this matter? Why are these links? Why do I think there's a link here? Here, the angels go from heaven to earth, not on a ladder, but on Jesus himself. In other words, Jesus is the stairway. In him, sinners on earth are restored to God in heaven because Jesus has made a way. He's made a way to the true Bethel, house of God. The one who controls the ladder is God himself. He's directing our lives. He finds us in our shame, in our guilt, in our condemnation, in our loneliness, and offers his faithfulness. He says, I am the stairway to heaven. You don't have to climb it. You come to me. And you have access to heaven. Your rebellion, your shame, your condemnation, the curse of sin that lies upon all of us. That we deserve judgment for, from a perfect and good God. Jesus says, I will take that punishment upon you. I will grant you all access to heaven through me through me alone, not through Allah, not through Buddha, not through Krishna, but through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. And 2,000 years ago, he died on a cross, suffering 
dealing with our sin and our rebellion, and by faith alone in him, through the stairwell, through the stairway that is Jesus Christ himself, we have access into the eternal kingdom. The king that we are anticipating, the king that has been promised through Abraham, is Jesus Christ himself. The Bible describes him as the king of kings. This is the king. So when we read the Bible, we read all these stories, they're strange They're strange to our ears. But this is a historical reality, and this is true. And King Jesus is saying, come home, my son. Come home, my daughter. You've gone far enough. What are you doing? Lift your head off of that rocky pillow. Come, ascend the stairway. I will take you home. That's an invitation to anybody, everywhere. It doesn't matter who you are. What have you done? People say to me, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You know, I read chapter 27 and 28, and that's pretty screwed up. Everybody is manipulating each other, lying to each other. And we do that. We do that. We're all Jacobs. But Jesus Christ has offered forgiveness to each one of us. And he's saying, come home. Come home to your father. There is a place, there is a better home where there is no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, no more cancer. And it's with God. And it's eternal and it's forever. And there's a place for you at his table. There's a room for you in his house. And he's just saying, come home. May we follow the stairwell. Would we believe in it, trust in it, and give God all the praise. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, there's, there's so many strange stories in the Bible. It's, it's difficult to understand. It's confusing. It's perplexing. But God, would you show yourself wonderful? And would we see you as the good Savior, the King of Kings, the stairwell to heaven? God, help us in our brokenness, in our scheming. Help me in my own heart. I know I'm a Jacob. I know I've wronged you, but thank you that you still lovingly embrace us. And it's all of grace. It's amazing grace. In your name we pray. Amen.